This morning's gospel reading comes from John 21, 1 through 14. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples of the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as the day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on the land, they saw a charcoal fire in place, with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Since Easter, we have been looking at um, Jesus' encounters after the resurrection in John's Gospel. We've been working through John's Gospel for quite some time, and we're getting ready to wrap it up. And we've been particularly kind of slowing down and watching Jesus and the risen Jesus, and what does he do? What do you do after you're raised from the dead, right? Where do you go? Well, he goes to Mary immediately in her tears and in her weeping, and he reveals himself to her. He goes to his disciples, um, we saw, in their fear and in their shame, and he appears to them. He goes to Thomas, as we saw last week, in, in his doubt and in, in his fear, and Jesus shows Thomas his, his scars and his wounds. Um, this morning, we see him appear to these disciples in a way that I think is pretty interesting. Um, I'll, I'll say why in just a minute, but first, let me, let me pray. Father, we, we thank you for um, this record that we have before us. We thank you for your word, that it really is alive um, that it really is beautiful as it, it is, as it shows us your son Jesus this morning. I pray um, that your spirit would be with us um, so that we might truly see him as he is. Um, Father, I pray um, for all of us here this morning that you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, I, I think if the statistics are right, it's somewhere around two-thirds of people experience um, what's called deja vu, and probably most of you, that, that probably means most of you in this room at some point 
have, have had deja vu. Deja vu is, is just French for already seen. And so you've had that experience before where, um, you know, maybe you're sitting. I had this recently. I was sitting at dinner with a group of, of friends, and we were talking about a very specific issue, um, very particular kind of timely issue. And I, has, I was having that feeling that I'd been in that exact same place, in that exact same room with those exact same people saying those exact same words. It's like really bizarre. And basically, they don't really know what's going on. Our brains are pretty complex. Well, I bring that up because when you read this passage, when we listen to this passage that that Annie just read to us, um, some of you might have felt a little bit of deja vu. If If you've read the Gospels before, you, you may have thought in your mind, I feel like this has happened already. I feel like this, we've already seen um, this Saint Jesus do this exact same miracle where he tells his disciples to put out their nets and, to, and they bring in a whole bunch of fish. But I thought it was somewhere else. And if you thought that, it wasn't deja vu, you were right. Um, that same, this same miracle takes place in Luke chapter 5. And this would have been... Um, a couple of years before Jesus died and rose again. So this was early in his ministry. We have this, real, this same miracle. And so this morning, I'm going to focus on those two accounts because I think that they happen, I think they happen for a reason. So um, I'm going to read, but I'm going to read this um, account from Luke chapter 5 before we talk about it. So you heard John 21 and you heard what happened there. Listen to what happens. Listen to the similarities between that and Luke chapter 5. Luke says this, on one occasion while the crowd was pressing in on Jesus to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. And getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, that's Peter, he asked him to put out a little bit from the land. And he sat down and he taught the people from the boat. And when they had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered him, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. And they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and they filled both the boats so that they began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And so that happened well before this account, this first account that we read this morning. So after the resurrection, Jesus he repeats a miracle in a really similar and a really specific way. And I think he does that for maybe a lot of reasons that we'll never know. But I want to ask the question this morning of like, what is he, what is he trying to communicate? Why, why did the risen Jesus, we don't have much of what he did after he rose. There's only a couple of chapters after the resurrection of accounts that he had. So why this? Why does Jesus repeat this miracle? In order to answer that question, I want to really focus in on one person who is sort of the main um, character in both of these accounts is Peter. And we see his reaction um, changes 
a lot from Luke chapter 5 to John 21. His reaction to this miracle is really different. And I want to think about why that might be the case. And so we're going to look um, first this morning about when Jesus brings fear and then when Jesus brings freedom. And I think that that's what's happening with Peter, that he moves um, from fear to freedom. And why, why does that happen? Well, think about Luke chapter 5 that I just read to you. Um, at, this, at the time of this miracle, Peter had been with Jesus. He had known Jesus for probably about one year. And so what, what would that have meant? That would have meant that he shared meals with Jesus. He heard Jesus teach um, quite a bit at this point. He had seen Jesus do some pretty miraculous things. Um, what did he see Jesus do? He saw one miraculous thing he saw Jesus do was Jesus healed Peter's mother-in-law. And so in other words, Jesus had been, I mean, Peter had been close enough to Jesus to be really curious about Jesus, to begin to follow Jesus, and to really begin to kind of start to trust Jesus. But with this particular incident, it's like Jesus, you know, he he had given sort of a little peek of who he is, and like now it's like he threw back the curtain. With this incident, like Peter sees Jesus in a way that he hasn't seen him before. He sees his power and he sees his glory in a way that he's never seen it before. So it kind of helps to maybe set the scene. Think about what's going on in that passage that I just read to you. You, uh, Peter, he just finished a night of a very unproductive fishing. If you ever go fishing with me, you'll know what unproductive fishing looks like. This is the night that Peter had. They, had. they had fished all night. They had not caught anything. And he, so he and his you know, fellow fishermen, they're doing what you do after any night um, out on the water. This was their trade. They're, it's cleanup time. And cleanup time is my least favorite time of anything, right? It's probably yours too, especially when you've got nothing to show for it. So they're fishing all night, nothing to show for it. And now they're, they're cleaning their nets. I imagine the way that they had to clean their nets was a particular process, probably had to fold them in a certain way to get them back in the boat, to get ready for the next time that they fish. So you kind of put yourself in that place. Not a very fun time of day, not a very encouraging night. And around this time, Jesus approaches Peter, and he asked Peter, hey, can I get into one of your boats, and will you kind of bring me out from the shore a little bit? Because what was going on, if you were listening to it, there was a crowd of people that were listening to Jesus teach, and there was, the crowd was so big that they were probably kind of pressing him up against the water to where he wanted some space, and so he wanted Peter to get him in a boat, pull him back a little bit so he could use the boat as sort of a pulpit. So Jesus in the boat, in the water, the rest of the crowd, he, he is on the shore and he's teaching them. And so when he finishes up, he, he says to Peter, hey, why don't you try, why don't you try fishing again? Like, why, don't you take, get the, why don't you get the nets back out and throw them in a little bit deeper this time? I mean, I don't think we realize like, what a frustrating question this is. Um, Peter is a fisherman, Right? This is probably what he's done the most of his life. This is where he grew up on the water. Um, this is his trade. Jesus is um, a carpenter, we think, by trade, who turned into a pretty popular public speaker, and he doesn't know much about fishing is what Peter thinks. And yet he says, hey, why don't you try it again? Why don't you throw your nets in a little bit, a little bit deeper? 
And so Peter's response is sort of like, we know, like, you know we've been fishing all night, right? Um, you know that we haven't caught anything, that the lake is it's just not the right time to do this. Besides, we've already finished washing and cleaning everything. But I think we get a hint into where Peter is with Jesus by the thing that he says next. Because he kind of protests a little bit, and he, said, he, he explains to Jesus that this is probably not a good idea. But then what is the next thing he says? He says, but if you say so, I will. If you say so, I will. And I think that Peter had already, you know, he knew he, he was going to get a negative response probably from the rest of his crew that everyone else is like, um, the teacher wants us to fish some more, so we've got to get everything dirty again and throw that back out. He knew that this was probably, this didn't make any sense to him whatsoever. But he says these words, if you say so, I'll do it. And this is a side note, but those words grabbed me the first time that I really studied this passage and thought about this passage. Because I, I don't think for most of us, we do things because Jesus says to do them. I think for most of us, we do the things that already fit logically into our plan. And so maybe the question for us, even as we look at Peter and we start to learn from him, is that that do we do things because Jesus has asked them to do it, or do we do things when they begin to make the most sense to us? Peter, he, he had at least believed Jesus enough to say, this makes no sense whatsoever, but I still know that there is something that you know that I don't know. I still know that there is, there is a realm that you understand that I do not understand, and so this makes no sense to me, but I will listen to you and I will do it. And they're not the most beautiful words in the Bible. They're not the most courageous and bold words even that Peter ever speaks, but they're humble and they're obedient. And he says, if you say so. And I think it, it seems that most of what Jesus asks us to do um, does not immediately make sense to us, right? And if you think about it, most of what he asks us to do in his word, most of what we read, it doesn't make sense to us. It doesn't make sense to us to remain um, sexually pure. Let's take that one. That doesn't make sense to us. I want to do what I want to do. It doesn't make sense to us to hold our possessions loosely and to not really obsess over our finances and our money. That doesn't make sense to us because we look around and everyone does that. So it doesn't make sense to us. It doesn't make sense to us um, to love our neighbor as ourselves because maybe our neighbor is a real jerk. And that doesn't make any sense to me. It doesn't make sense to not be anxious about tomorrow, and that's what Jesus tells us to do. He says, don't be anxious about tomorrow. And it doesn't make sense to me to not be anxious about tomorrow because tomorrow can be terrifying because I don't know what happens tomorrow. And the question I think that comes out of this, and again, this is a side note, is, that is, is Jesus our Lord? Is he our master? Or is he more of an advisor to us? Well, it seems like to Peter already that Jesus, he had seen enough of Jesus that he, be, he has become his Lord. And so Jesus chooses to act right in the place where Peter is an expert. I don't think that's by mistake. He chooses to do this miracle right in the place where Peter is. This is what Peter does. This is what he knows the most about. And this is where Jesus chooses to act, both to challenge Peter and to shock Peter. 
And so Peter knows there's no fish in the lake right now. We, we tried. He's, and, then, and so when they pull in this haul of fish, Peter is utterly astonished that Jesus gets Peter's attention to say the least. Why? Because he sees now that this one who he admires, this one who he's seen some do, do some pretty incredible things, this one has control even over nature, that he speaks to the fish and they obey him. What Peter is seeing is that this is God. Because no one can do that but God. And so the fish enter these nets in such a way that they begin to break and then they start to bring them into the boats and the boats start to sink and the act was so miraculous that it causes this really strange reaction from Peter. You heard, you heard me read it. That this reaction from Peter, um, it sounds strange to us that basically what he says after he sees this is he says, get away from me, Jesus. I, you can't, I can't be around you Get away from me. It, isn't that a weird reaction? That he basically, he, Jesus produces this huge miracle. He brings in all these fish, which, by the way, would have been a very lucrative move for Jesus. And Peter's response is, I can't be around you. Get away from me. I imagine if Peter was not on a boat, he would have turned around and he would have run away from Jesus. Why? Well, he tells us. He says, I cannot be with you because I am sinful. And you see, when, when Peter, when, when Jesus pulls back the veil and he sees Jesus in his, all of his power and all of his glory, what immediately takes place in Peter is Peter understands who he is in relation to that. And his first response is to be completely shaken to where he drops to his knees and he says, I cannot be around you. You have no idea. You see, Peter knows that if Jesus can talk to the fish and they obey. If Jesus actually is God in the flesh, then what Peter knows is that Jesus knows everything about Peter. And if somebody knows everything about you, what is the first reaction? Like like the person sitting next to you, maybe the one even that you're not related to, all of a sudden had perfect insight into everything about you, what would be your first reaction? Hey, let's go have lunch. No, get away from me, right? (laughs) And they would probably go... Gladly, I'll gladly get away from you, right? You're terrifying. And this is what's happening. Peter's saying, I, I can't, I'm, I'm a sinner. You are holy, and I cannot be around you. And I want to ask, have you, ever, have you ever trembled before God in that way? Have you ever seen him in such a way that you see um, his power and his glory and his holiness in such a way that it undoes you because you see yourself as you really are. And your response at first is you're, you're like, I cannot, I, I want to run away from you. I want to hide from you. I want to cover myself up. I don't want to be exposed to you. That my first reaction is to flee. The Bible shows us over and over again when people encounter for the first time the true and living God, that they're completely undone. And I think this is why this kind of maybe a concept that sometimes we have or we see around us is, you know, this kind of concept of getting near to God being sort of this very warm and fuzzy thing at first. Um, It doesn't really line up, I think, with Scripture. You know, the sort of, I just had this awesome experience with God and felt so close to him, you know. And when we get near to him, 
What inevitably happens when we see him for, for what he really is, what inevitably happens is we see ourselves for what we really are. And that undoes us. That, that should undoes us, undo us. We actually get close to the living God and something deep is stirred in us to the point that we're both attracted to him and also completely undone and maybe even a little bit repulsed by him, that we want to be near him and yet we know we're not worthy. This is where Peter is. This is what happens um, during this first miracle. And this is why it's wrong to think that we can simply get close to God by becoming maybe a little bit more religious um, or maybe having some sort of moving experience. Because to get really close to him always means that we're revealed for what we really are. I mean, this is why sometimes people who claim to hate God are actually close to understanding him because they see that they see themselves for what they really are, and they don't want anything to do with him. Have you ever experienced this type of fear? It's a good question, I think, for us to ask. Have you ever met the living God? Have you peeked behind the veil to see his power and, and walked away totally and utterly devastated, like Isaiah, like Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6? I, I'm a man of unclean lips. Some of us have, and often, maybe the next question is, what is our reaction then to that? Because we're getting ready to see what happens with Peter in this next passage, but what happens with Peter right after this, up until the crucifixion and resurrection, is that Peter spends a lot of his time with Jesus, and he was with Jesus a lot, and we have a lot of it recorded. Peter spends a lot of his time with Jesus doing the very thing that many of us and I would probably do, is trying to show Jesus that he was still worthy to be around him. Peter's undone, get away from me, I can't be around you, I am a sinful man. And then what do we see Peter do? Um, Peter jumping up, you know, uh, making bold proclamations, usually fumbling the ball, but trying to be the first to do everything, trying to show Jesus that he is worthy. I'm worthy to be around you, Jesus. And, and, and don't we do, like, if we've met the living God and we've, and we've become undone, what is our reaction to that? I think oftentimes we want to find a way to show that we're still worthy. We want to find a way um, to show that, that, that he should spend time with us, that, that, that we're not a waste to him. This is what Peter does. He spends all this work and all this try, time trying to prove his worthiness. I think that's something that we can relate to. It's one of the reasons I love Peter so much and the account we have of him, because I can relate to that too. And so what happens then when we get to this passage, John 21, that Annie read for us? Because what you see is like Jesus repeats this miracle in a very specific way, and who's talked about? Well, Peter's talked about in this passage, and it. The, the reaction from Peter is completely different than it was in Luke chapter 5. What happened between Luke 5 and John 21? Well, the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus happened. And I, I think we're, we're fools not to think that that kind of had an impact on how Peter viewed Jesus. That, that Peter, I think, through that began to understand and believe the gospel. He began to understand, believe what we call the good news of Jesus. That Peter said, um, 
what I have seen about myself is I'm actually worse than I thought I was. Over these next few years with Jesus, from that first encounter with him in the boat where we haul in all those fish and and I'm terrified of him, um, things haven't gotten better for me. They've actually gotten worse. But I've come to see that Jesus loves me and forgives me more than I could ever possibly imagine. How did he understand that? He only understood that through the crucifixion and through the resurrection of Jesus. This second miracle takes place after Peter denies Jesus. And what I would think would happen when Jesus stands on the shore and says, hey, put out your nets a little bit deeper, what would have happened in Peter's mind? It was like, oh no. He see, Jesus, he sees everything about me. He knows what I did to him. He knows how I denied him. I imagine Peter, you know, what I would think he would do is he would turn and run once again, that he would say, get away from me, but he does the opposite. He jumps into the water and he rushes towards Jesus. He cannot wait to be with Jesus. What has changed is not that Peter has magically become less sinful, but he has come to understand that the same holy Jesus that was revealed to him that first in that first miracle is the same Jesus that went to the cross for him. That a light bulb goes off in Peter's head and Peter's saying and thinking, yes, he knows everything about me. That is why he came. That is why he went to the cross. That is why he took my punishment upon himself. And what what that creates, as Peter had experienced this type of fear, it turns into this freedom to where he now wants to be with Jesus because there is no safer place now to be than with the one who knows everything about you, the one against whom you've most grievously sinned, and the one who has actually forgiven you and covered your sin and given given you his righteousness. He's like, where else would I want to go? I want to be with him. So Peter jumps out of the boat and he runs to them. Do you know this kind of freedom? That, that even in the midst, do you know this kind of freedom that even in the midst of our most devastating failures, see this conversation is going to happen in just next week when we meet back together, Jesus talks to Peter. He welcomes him on the shore. They sit down, they have a meal together and he begins to talk to him and we're going to look at that next week. But do you know that in the midst, this was Peter's moment, right? This is when he faces the risen Lord Jesus after he had denied him. Do you know the kind of freedom that even in the midst of your most devastating failure that you have this kind of security and this kind of hope that can only come from the grace and the forgiveness of Jesus? You know that question that helps us know that if if we understand that kind of forgiveness and we understand the gospel is this. Where do you go when you find that your sin is deeper than you first thought it was, do you move towards him or do you move away from him? I mean, think about this week. There's nobody in the room who hasn't had a, a time this week where you've seen yourself to be more sinful than you knew you were, right? Every single one of us has had that experience this week. Where did you go? Do we run away? Do we say, get away from me so that I can cover myself back up, so that I can make myself worthy? Or do we know now that we can run to him because in him is the only place where we find refuge, we find forgiveness, we find hope, 
we find resurrection. You know, my own life, that is a long, slow process that moves from the fear that undoes us and should undo us to the freedom that we have in the gospel. And that process for me is certainly not over. And every day when I face my own sin and I see that it's more deep than I, deep than I thought and I see my own, my own pride start to come up, that I want to deal with it myself. I want to prove myself worthy. Wanting to run away from God and find acceptance from other things instead of running to him. Wanting to give in to guilt and lose hope. And it's the spirit. You see, just earlier when Jesus met with his disciples, what did he do? He breathed on them and he breathed the spirit in them. And what does the spirit do? The spirit continually takes us back to the cross. It takes us back to Jesus. And so Peter in that boat jumps towards Jesus runs towards Jesus because the Spirit prompts him to go there. You see, what happened to Peter is not that he became a better person. It's not that he became more religious. What happened to Peter is that he actually began to believe that what Jesus was giving him was the opposite of what he deserved, that Jesus was giving him grace. And what it did, and we can go and read the letters of Peter, we could read the accounts of Peter in Acts, and what we see is it transformed Peter from this fearful man who desperately wanted everybody else's approval to a forgiven man who was set free. He was set free from guilt, and he was set free from shame, and he was set free to go and proclaim this love of Jesus. That's what's offered to us today, this morning. Let me pray. Father, we, um, we, we just thank you for even the details of your word, um, that we have these accounts that are recorded for us, that we see what Jesus, how he repeats this miracle because his love for this man and his love even for us. And Father, we, um, we confess that in many ways um, we can live in sort of a paralyzing fear uh, that we want to fix ourselves before we come to you. And I pray that you would release us from that. I pray that even this morning, if, if there are those here that find themselves in that place, um, that are waiting just to get a little bit better before coming to you, um, that you would drive that thought from their mind and that you would help them to come to you even now. Father, for those of us who know you, um, I pray that we might experience um, the freedom that comes through the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus. And we we might taste and see that even now as we come to this table. In Jesus' name, amen.